Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 2. The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 2. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles, exploring these personal epistles as we explained before that these epistles are a little bit different than the letters that were written to the... Uh, to the churches that the church of Rome got a letter, the church of Corinth received a letter. But these three pastoral epistles were written not to churches, but to individuals. Specifically, they were written to people in the position of a pastor that Paul as an apostle was instructing these two young men in the faith, two young men that he has trained and encouraging them and helping them to be the pastors they ought to be and to what to look for, what to guard for, what to do and how to instruct the people within the church. And there are certain things that a pastor is responsible for teaching and for instructing. As we find our way into the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2, we see this thought continuing on and 1 Timothy chapter number 2 as Paul is continuing to give instruction to his son in the faith, Timothy, we now pick up as a change of subject. First Timothy chapter 2, and notice with me starting at verse number 9. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, and they shall continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2? The book of 1 Timothy and chapter number 2. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 10, the phrase, women professing godliness. Women professing godliness. And with the Lord's help, we want to expose and put attention on this subject about women professing godliness. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we continue to come up to you now, 
We're just asking that you would let this subject tonight be very clear. Let it be very biblical. Let it be very easily understood. Help us to have a good understanding and discernment about what you're getting across. And that maybe we could even understand a little bit about what you say and why. That we could see that you're a good God who loves us very much and wants everything done decently in order. We understand that this is a most controversial topic, especially in our day and age. But Lord, it just comes back to simplicity. What does the Bible say? I'm asking that we would just have a determination just to agree with what you say in your Bible and just <laughs> learn that you have a good reason, that you know what you're doing after all. Lord, again, with a subject such as this, I dare not trust my own. So the best I know how I surrender myself, ask that you <coughs> use me in a special way, fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We understand that throughout the word of God, there are certain uh, passages throughout the word of God that cause some controversy. There are certain passages that are greatly hated by the world. And we come to one passage today that the world truly hates. And because it is hated, there is often controversy. Because it is hated, there is often people who dispute it. Because of this, there are people who try to defend it to a degree that it goes way off the other side. And so you got people who are either side of the pendulum who are trying to defend something in a non-biblical way. We should always find out what does the Bible say, understand what God is saying, who's he saying it to, and what is he getting across, and take the natural understanding of the text. And if you don't mind, we'd like to take one of those today and understand that God is putting emphasis through the Apostle Paul. This is another thing that we have to make clear very much from the beginning. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. You know what that word all means? All. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Even this passage here. This was not the Apostle Paul's opinion. This wasn't because he hated women and he wanted to put women in his place. When it's actually the opposite. The Apostle Paul always spoke highly of women. Always had a high warm regard towards women. He spoke of Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 verses 1 and 2. It spoke very highly of Phoebe. The unknown woman named Mary in Romans chapter 16 verse 6. He spoke about Timothy's grandmother and mother who invested in young Timothy. And for <coughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. He spoke of Lydia of Philippi in Acts chapter 16 verses 14 through 5. She was happy to be a good friend. The Apostle Paul always had a warm regard for women and may I also put an asterisk here that whenever biblical Christianity is used it always puts good regard towards ladies. We are not talking about the idea of subjugating them and putting them lower because this is not what God does at all. They always have great value throughout the word of God. However, because of controversy and because of the way things are, they tend to put a different twist on what the word of God says. What is the emphasis of this passage that we're putting here? Well, we see the emphasis in verse number five, the qualification that is placed after verse 9 and before verse 11 and the following passage is women professing godliness. Women professing 
godliness. This is the qualification. Here we're seeing that here are some ladies that have made a decision to follow after God. And not just after God in words, but follow after God in their spirit. Follow after God in their devotion. Follow after God in the inside. And as they follow God in the inside, it changes their outside. So often, as I said before, that people will swing the pendulum one way or the other. We know that there's some good, well-meaning folks that take things out of the Bible and they place the emphasis on the outward appearance and they try to put everyone to look good on the outside and let the inside rot. Again, we see the qualification here, what is being explained here, is women professing godliness. Ladies that have made a decision that they want to follow after God, to live a godly life, to walk with God in their life, and the inside change changes towards the outside. Women professing godliness. So Paul here, as he's writing, is not writing his own thoughts and his own opinions. He is writing what God told Paul to write. So it's not Paul's opinion he is writing down what God clearly stated. And may I say that God always has a reason? God understands what he is doing. He understands creation. Can we all acknowledge God created us? Yes. If God created us, does he know uh, how he made us? Does he know how we tick? Did God create the church? Was it Christ and his disciples that started the church? Yes. So does he have a good idea of how the church is supposed to run and operate? Yes. So we all come to the idea that these two things starting off. First of all, God is the one who said it. It is his words. It is his ideas. And he knows what he's doing. Second of all, this is dealing with the idea of women who profess godliness. Women who have decided they're going to follow after God in their spirit, in their devotion, and in their activities, their behavior. And as they follow after God, God changes them in the inside out. And there's going to be some differences. So if you don't mind, I'd like to examine this passage in the light of context. And I'd like to show you, first of all, these women professing godliness, they profess godliness, first of all, in their apparel. They profess godliness in their apparel. Notice with me at the beginning of verse 9. In like manner also. Now remember, when you see in this idea, this like manner also, what was he saying before? Well, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, he was speaking about prayer. He was speaking about, uh, <coughs> excuse me, things that are good and acceptable unto God. Remember that there are some things that are good and acceptable for everyone. It is good and acceptable for everyone, for people to pray for everyone. We saw that. It is good and acceptable for people to pray or for everyone, but also to witness to everyone. Also, it is good and acceptable for us to follow God's will. So we saw that this morning. It is good and acceptable unto God to do those things. Then it says in like manner, what is the like manner? It is good and acceptable unto God for women. Now it goes and explains what are some things that is good for women to do? Women who profess godliness, what are some good and acceptable things that should be in their life? Well, we understand that first of all, in like manner, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. In modest apparel. Now, here we have to define some terms. What is modesty? Modesty is not bringing attention 
to the sexual zones of the body. That's just a good definition. It is not bringing attention to the sexual zones of the body. So a woman professing godliness because she has a desire to please the Lord, because she understands some things that the Bible says and desires to follow after him, as God changes her from the inside out, she is going to be someone who dresses in modest apparel. You know, the world is very much interested in sex. They are much interested in things of the flesh. And there are certain things and a certain way that a woman carries herself and dresses can draw a man's eye to the sexual zones of the body. Do you know a lady could wear a sweater and it still be a modest? Modesty just carries the idea of not drawing attention to the sexual zones of the body. And we understand that she carries herself because she wants a man or people around her to be more interested on what's on the inside than just the outside. Caring about her faith, caring about her walk with the Lord. That should be the things that we should be showing and drawing the attention to. If you don't mind, as we quickly just go from there... In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. But we also see something else. Professing godliness. Women professing godliness in their deportment. In their deportment. The deportment is just a fancy word that says in how they carry themselves. Not just what they wear, but how they carry themselves. Notice as it goes on in verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broidled hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which become with women professing godliness with good works. So here it's doing a contrast that a lady is supposed to be carrying herself in such a way. Well, let's define some of these terms. Notice the word shamefacedness. Shamefacedness shamefacedness carries the idea of modesty, but it's not in her clothes, but it's in her manner, her, the way she carries herself. Shamefacedness carries the idea of modesty in how she carries herself. You know, there's some ladies that they may be very beautiful, but no one dares flirts with them because they carry themselves in such a way that nobody thinks of that. <laughs> Just the way that they carry themselves. They're not openly flirtatious. They don't do a little wink. It's the way that they carry themselves. So the Bible says that a lady who's trying to follow after God is going to carry herself, not just in her dress, but in her manner of being in modesty. It goes on. We see the word sobriety. The word sobriety carries the idea of self-control, to have complete control of one's passions. Of one's passions. So a lady is someone who carries herself around not only in modesty, but also carrying her compassion or her passions. It's not a lady who goes around and doesn't get her way and decides she's going to go on the ground and throw a fit. It's not cute when a child does it. It's even worse when a lady who's a little bit older than a child throws a fit. But someone who's following after God is trying to carry herself, not just in the way she dresses, but the way she carries herself modestly. She, someone following after God and carrying herself, trying to be pleasing to him, will be someone who carries herself soberly, carrying the idea of she's in control of her passions, control of her emotions, control of herself. 
Now, notice again the comparison. In verse number 10, it uses the word but. The word but is a conjunctive to show the opposite. So here, we're carrying the idea as it goes on, not with broidled hair, gold or pearls or costly array. By the way, what the Bible here is, it's not saying that women shouldn't wear makeup. It's not saying they shouldn't look pretty. By the way, you should have a good, um, good coat on the barn every now and again. There should nothing wrong. Come on, it's all right to smile. It's fine. <coughs> There's nothing wrong with wearing makeup. It's nothing wrong with a lady looking nice. I, in fact, I think that a lady should not be wearing holes uh, patches with holes and something they got from a <laughs> thrift shop that's been passed down forever and it's been eaten by moths and whatever. You, you understand. <laughs> There's some people that have learned to dress like professional poor people and make and just looking at them makes you feel sorry for them. That's not the way that we're supposed to carry ourselves. But it's carrying the idea that not putting the attention on the broiled hair or gold or pearls or costly array that everywhere you go, you want everyone to look at you, look at you, look at you. But instead, what does God want you to be, what does God want people to be looking at? Notice it says, but, and then it has a parenthetical phrase. A parenthetical phrase is a phrase that interrupts a thought. So let's put that parenthetical phrase just aside and read the thought. That like manner also, women should adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, sobriety, not with broiled hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but with good works. With good works. The comparison is done here is the beauty that God wants people to see cannot be bought, but what can be wrought. So the beauty that God wants you to see, you know, you could buy gold up in your hair. You could buy a little tiara. You could buy a little princess crown. You could even buy hair nowadays. And you could weave in pink and purple hair and, and have it all dangled. And look at me, look at me. But what God wants someone, a woman professing godliness there, is for people to know her works. That is someone who follows after God. And I could tell it by how she behaves, how she speaks, how she controls her passions, how she carries herself, how she talks to other people. That is the idea that God wants to get across here is how she carries herself in her deportment. It's not the attention of things that you buy. It is the attention of here's someone who's learned to walk with God. That is what God wants people to see. They want them, God wants the world and everyone else to see Christ living in you. That is the attention that God wants people to put. God living in us. It is our personal walk with God. So we start off seeing that women professing, excuse me, women professing godliness, they profess godliness in their apparel. They profess godliness in their deportment, how they carry themselves, how they talk, how they speak, how they deal with others. But we also see here that women profess godliness in their order. In their order. Notice with me as we come to this passage that drives some people nuts in verse number 11. Let women learn in silence with all subjection. Right here is where the world starts to catch on fire. This is where they start getting upset. Now we understand this is in the context of a local church. 
Okay, so we have to understand this is the context in the local church. It's not dealing with home. It's not dealing with, other, it's dealing with the idea of a local church. Notice as it goes on, verse number 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach or to up authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now let's pause here and go back to what we've already learned that first of all, God created the local church. And because God created the local church, he knows how he wants it to operate and to run. We can understand that. Maybe I could do a cheap illustration. Let's say that a, a lady gets a brand new appliance, a brand new gadget that's going to help her out. And so she takes it, puts it out of the box, unwraps it, and she gets the instructions. It's always good to read instructions. I'd use a man for an illustration, but we know he doesn't use the instructions. But let's just say that a lady's got instructions. And she opens it up, and the manufacturer says, we know, we invented the machine, we know how it's supposed to run, and we make, sh make sure that you press button A before ever pressing button B. Always do A before B. Don't do it backwards. But a lady may say, it's my machine, I bought it, I had the right to do with whatever I want, I can do with whatever I want, and so she presses B, and then presses A. Well, nothing happens at first. Then all of a sudden it whirls and smokes and pops and then does nothing else. It dies. She can get mad all she wants, but the manufacturer said, this is how I want it to operate. This is how it's supposed to operate. And if you don't operate it the way that I instruct it, it's not going to work. So God has given us an instruction manual. And he says, for the local church, this is how I want it to work. And if it does not operate the way that I've instructed it to operate, don't be surprised when things fall apart and don't work the way that it's supposed to operate. So again, we're laying a basis here before we go into any logic, before we go into any explanation. God wrote this, not man. And this is what God said for something that he owns and he operates. But God doesn't leave it there. He does go and explain a little bit more. We know that God knows what's best for the church. And he has an involatable rule for the church, functioning of the church. And this is based off the nature of the church and God's intimate knowledge of how men and women work. A woman, <laughs> how a woman responds to this rule, by the way, shows her professing godliness. Her looking towards God. Because either she's going to be submitted to the Lord or rebellious to the Lord. That's the only two options. God said it. How does she respond to this? A woman professing godliness will be in order and submitted unto what the Bible says. Notice as he continues to go on. Let's define our terms again. It said, let the women learn in silence. Silence carries the idea of a tranquility that dwells within. It is a peace. It is a tranquility. You know, some people can be silent on the outside, but be jumping up and down. Ever have a uh, know the answer in school? And all right, this is carrying an idea of a tranquility inside. And you know what it really means in the Greek? Silence. So it's saying that a woman keeps silent. Now it's going to define itself here in a bit. 
it carries the, old, the other idea of subjection. The word subjection is a military term that carries the idea of dealing with someone lesser in rank. Now, <laughs> let's come to this part here. When we deal with the idea of man and woman, we're not dealing with the idea of value. Because we know that Jesus submitted unto his father. Does that mean that Jesus is less value than his father? Not at all. It is an idea of order and function, not of value. God does not devalue women. They have great value and they're not more or less valuable than a man. But in the idea of operating a local church, which God designed and had an idea, it is a matter of function. It is a matter of order. It is a matter of how God has designed it for a purpose. And so it says, let a woman learn in silence with all subjection. It goes on and tell about what is forbidden. I suffer not a woman to teach or to usher up authority over the man, but to be in silence. It's saying that what is forbidden is for a lady to do public teaching or to pastor a church. He says, I do not want a lady pastoring a church. That's not how I designed it. I don't want a lady who is teaching men and overthrowing the authority that I've placed in there. Now, he has not forbid women to teach at all. We see actually in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that he instructs the aged women, the more mature women in Christ, to teach the younger women. We could see that throughout the Bible in the New Testament, that ladies are supposed to be able to teach children. They're able to do that, even male children. They're able to teach. But what is being put aside here is only two things. Public teaching or pastoring <coughs> That's the idea that is being put aside here. So we come to why the rule. Why does this rule here? Well, God goes back to how God created things. Notice with me in verse number 13. We could see the word for, that is a prepositional phrase. It modifies, it gives us more understanding to what he said before. Verse number 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So we go all the way back to the very beginning. How did God create us? We know that Adam was created by special direct creation, meaning that Adam was created by God's hand. God formed Adam. Then after that, he formed woman out of the rib of man. Eve was formed out of man, where man was formed out of nothing. A special creation from there. So what was the order? God created Adam first, then Eve. That was what 13 is talking about. That God has put a spiritual order. He created man first and then women. As we go on, we understand the story of the fall of man. That God only put Adam. He gave him a Bible of two verses. How would you do with a Bible with two verses? Can you memorize at least the Bible with two verses? You think you might be able to get a hold of it? God told Adam that passage. He gave it directly to Adam. Adam repeated the Bible, taught the Bible, taught the principles, taught those two verses to Eve. All right? So God created Adam first. Then he gave Adam the word and he taught it to Eve. Only two verses to obey. That was quite simple. You can eat of anything here freely. The Bible uses the word freely. You can eat of any tree, anything you want. All of them you could choose from. The only thing I ask is not to eat out of this one. That's the only thing I ask. 
May I also remind you there was nothing wrong with that tree? You know what the only thing that was wrong with that fruit? Is that God said it was wrong. In fact, when Eve ate it, it said when she saw it was good to eat. There was nothing wrong with it except that God said it was wrong with it. You see, we come back to the principle we said before. This is God's word. How do we respond to God's word? We do that with anything in the Bible. You could take any other passage. What does the Bible say and how do you respond to God's word? What makes anything wrong? God said it was wrong. What makes lying wrong? Because God said it was wrong. What makes stealing wrong? Because God said it was wrong. You go to a society that doesn't recognize God's authority, you notice any of those things are free to go. People lie, they cheat, and they don't think anything wrong with it. What makes it wrong? God said it was wrong. It goes back to God's authority. Who is God? Which is going to be the main crux of what is being taught here. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So hold your finger here. Let's actually go to the source. And turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. Since God places a great emphasis on this passage, it is correct for us to go back to the passage and actually see what happened. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis and chapter number 3. By the way, the two verses that they had was in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Out of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat mayest freely eat. Meaning, you have all those trees. You have any fruit. You help yourself. Just don't eat this one. Verse number 17. But of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, thou shalt not eat it. For in the day that thou eatest, thou therefore shalt... Excuse me. Thou therefore... Thou... Let me get a running start of it, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Their Bible consisted two verses. That was it. God's commandment, God's word, this is what I give you. By the way, in case you think that you could keep those two verses, it's always interesting to see what people do. We had a Sunday school class many years ago. And in the Sunday school class, I was teaching from 8 to 12-year-olds. And I told them that we're going to go start on Adam and Eve soon. And they started talking and said, hey, you know what? If I was in the garden, I wouldn't eat of the tree. And they started talking back and forth, you know, and making all kinds of jokes. But pretty much they were agreeing together, the 8 to 12-year-olds. I wouldn't eat of the tree. I could obey that law. And I said, okay, we'll see how you do. And I usually didn't have snacks in my Sunday school class, but what I did do is one day I invited everyone in the church for something special in my classroom to make snacks. So we had cakes and pies and, and Rice Krispie treats and candy bars and muffins and everything, and we brought them in. And then I had a tray right in the middle, and I told my class that this tray here is pastor's, not ours, pastor's, but I'm keeping it with all the food. I just want... <laughs> To keep it covered, we'll give it to pastor later. You can eat freely of anything that is here. Just don't eat, don't touch, don't even look at, the, at this thing over here that's set aside for pastor. I mean, you got cakes, you got pies, you got, the, I mean, you got all that you could desire. You have more than enough here. Eat everything here, just don't touch that. 
Oh, wait, I forgot some napkins. Let me go grab those napkins. And I stepped outside to go grab some napkins. And my assistant who was with me at that time said that as soon as that door closed, they all ran to the table. And the only thing they went to go look at was what was in that pan that was set aside for pastor. And when they opened up, it was a big handwritten sign that said, see, you're all sinners. <laughs> they closed it. When I came back in, you could see the little halos. <laughs> Just all innocent. You know, two verses. That's all they had to obey was two verses. So, knowing that they have two verses, how did it play out? Notice with me in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. You know, the very first thing out of Satan's mouth is he questions the word of God. Notice he's talking to Eve and he's having an intellectual conversation. He's not going towards her heart. He's trying to talk to her intellectually. And he said, hey, hath God said, he's questioning God's word. Hey, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Notice she left out that word freely. We could have anything we want. She could have left it there, but she left out that word freely. She already dropped something from the word of God. Verse number three, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Verse two, she subtracts from the word of God. Verse three, she adds to the word of God. Only two verses, that's it. But she's taken away stuff. And she's adding things. And Satan is doing this on purpose because now she's defending her position, but she's moving too far away from the Bible. Whenever you move from an unbiblical position, you stand in a, in a place that you cannot defend. She could have stayed and defended. The, only, the word of God was her only defense. But here she's messing with the word of God as Satan is questioning it. And it's made her unstable ground. Notice verse 5. For God doth know. Or verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman. Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be open. And ye shall be as God. So verse number 4. First of all he questions God's word. Then he denies God's word. In verse number 4 he said. Ye shall not surely die. God lied to you. That's not what he said. Verse number five, then you shall be as gods. God is holding back something from you. God is not being good to you because he's holding back something that, that you need, something that you should have. He's holding it back. And you know that's what happens to people. They look at God's prohibitions. That's what Satan likes to look at. He wants to list all the things you can't do or all the things you have to do as a Christian rather than the liberty and the freedom we have because we know God, because we know Christ. <laughs> so what happens? Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, notice she looked at it and there was nothing wrong with the fruit other than God said, don't eat it. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So what happened here? She made a determination of who was God in her life. 
Is God God in her life? Or is she determined what's right or wrong? You know, that's the ultimate thing. We either submit to God or we submit to ourselves. Either God is God or we are God. She determined that she knew better than God and she took of the fruit and she ate it, but she did not stop there. God made Adam first. God made him of special creation. God gave the leadership, the responsibility to Adam. But now, as she takes the fruit and gave to her husband with her, and she did eat. So she came up to Adam and said, Adam, this is the fruit that God told us not to eat. You eat it. You know what she did? She took the authority on herself now. She was telling her husband what to do. Take of this tree. Now Eve was deceived. Satan deceived her. He tricked her. He fooled her. Adam was not deceived. He purposely, willfully, intentionally sinned. He looked at the wife that God gave him. Even though she was fallen. And he still loved her. And he wanted to be with her. And so he chose to sin. He was not deceived. He willfully, purposely sinned. He knew what he was doing when he did it. That's why the judgment came upon Adam. However, we now come to the New Testament. And we can see that there's some fallout from this. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Let the woman learn, in verse 11, number 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to up authority over the man, but to be in silence. Why? Because Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. What do we see here? That part of the consequences of Eve sinning Carried all the way up to the New Testament day. And because of that consequence, God said, I order that a woman not be a pastor. As a consequence of Adam and Eve. Because the woman went over and became the authority of the man and said, here did eat. And he took and he ate. Because of that consequence, it is now played up in the New Testament days. And God said, this is the order that I want. As a consequence... A woman should not pastor. A woman does not do authority because of this. But notice this. God turns it around and doesn't end it on a negative, but he says this. Verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved. Don't let that word saved fool you here. Saved in childbirth. We understand that the basic definition of saved carries the idea of deliverance from a situation. For the New Testament, most time it uses the word saved. It carries the idea of deliverance from hell. Deliverance from the consequences of sin. Verse number 15, that she shall be saved in childbirth. It carries the idea to saved from the consequence. Saved from the situation. Meaning she can't teach. It can't be the pastor of the church. However, she does have opportunities to teach. Notice where, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety, meaning that she does have the opportunity to teach as she has her own children and she can instruct them and teach them and praise the Lord with it as she's following after God, women professing godliness. 
She does have opportunities to teach. She does have opportunities to be able to have the influence and to be able to be a help to people. That it ends with a positive. Here, she does have the opportunity for this. So now we come to the crux of the message. You say, well, I'm a man. What do I do with this? We'll, we'll get to that. I'm a lady. What do I do with this? I'm going to get to it. What are we getting to? It all comes down to, is this God's word? No matter where your passage is. It doesn't have to be here. It could be John 3.16. It could be Genesis 1.1. The idea is, what does God say and how do you respond to it? You will either respond in submission or respond in rejection. It all comes down to who is God in your life. For women professing godliness, women who have submitted themselves and say, God, you're my God, they will show up in the way that they dress, the way that they behave, and the way that they order themselves in the church. Does it matter who you are, man, woman, female, child, the principle is the same here. If God said it, how do you respond to what God said? Either God is going to be God or you are going to be God. Either God chooses what's right or you choose what's right. The idea here is who is your God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.